Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times podcast, and I'm delighted today to be talking to Nathan Monday about his novel, Wailing. Welcome, Nathan. Could you start you. by telling us a little bit about the story of your book? Yes, uh, 1792, uh, a historical event. Uh, Fifteen whaler families uh, are invited to form a, a whaling colony off the coast of West Wales in a place called Aberdaigleddau or Milford Haven. Um, that's where the history uh, uh, has a little pause. And I imagine a whale uh, washing up, uh, or do I imagine? Uh, it's a counterfactual novel. A whale washes up at the same time as the arrival of the families. And the novel then sees the interaction of the locals with the newcomers and the sort of haunting presence of this whale, uh, this this dead beached whale throughout the whole book then. And it's 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 how the different people uh, view this whale. We're, we're sort of surveying the whale from the different characters. So that, I won't say any more. I don't want to ruin the book. <laughs> no, I, I always hate that when that happens. I think that's just enough to interest readers. And I mean, I can tell from your voice, you're a Welshman. So this is obviously part of history. I'm just wondering, I mean, is it a story you'd always known about this whaling community? Or, or how did you, where did the inspiration come from? Well, it, 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 back in 2016, I was a doctorate, uh, doing a PhD in Cardiff University, and I was in uh, Harvard um, giving a paper at a Welsh Studies Conference in America. It's quite niche, you know, but uh, we'd, had, we'd had a lovely time there in Harvard. And then I went with my friend. My friends went to New York, but I called me Ishmael. I went to... Uh, Nantucket. I'd heard about the island. I, I was keen to go and I went on the little ferry from Cape Cod uh, and as soon as I came off the boat I I saw the Whaling Museum and I had no idea uh, about the Welsh connection yet but it's coming and you walk inside and there's this grand skeleton of a whale and you follow it upstairs and there's a special uh, exhibition on about the whale in diaspora from the island. And I saw whales, um, a little, you know, one of those little strings that goes from Nantucket to Milford Haven. And uh, the note that I read in the cabinet is included on um, page seven of the novel. In 1792, 15 Nantucket whalemen and their families moved to Milford Haven, Wales, where they operated a branch of the whale fishery. They were encouraged by Sir William Hamilton of Linlithgow and Sir Charles Francis Greville. And that was the the genesis moment. Uh, so that's that was the beginning. I had never heard of it before. So is it, do you think uh, yeah. it's not it's not well known in Wales? It's not something that's sort of particularly No, yeah. not really. I I it, you know, in, in in Pembrokeshire, the famous history is the, the the sort of last invasion of Britain in 1797, with the, you know, when, you know, the famous sort of mythology of the women on the cliff top dressed in red. That's the sort of famous thing you're taught in school. 
uh, but I'd never come across this story. Uh, and I made a conscious decision, actually. You know, I've, I studied history as an undergraduate. I was tempted to go full out into the history. But I made a conscious decision. I was asking questions already on the on the island. What happened? Why don't I know about it? Uh, and I imagine then all sorts. And that's the birthing moment of the novel. Right, how exciting. Were you looking for a novel idea at the time or, or did you not know you were looking for a story? Oh, to tell? Not at all. It, it ha- I decided to stay on the island for three uh, nights and I found this wonderful uh, youth hostel on the South Shore uh, in an old whaling, uh, not whaling, a lifeboat station. And it looks like a, a Viking long haul. I don't think it's open anymore, but it was a bargain at the time, $40 a night. Um, and I went there and it was actually a, a profound, you know, I met some fascinating people and, you know, how it is, you know, when you're in a, a special place and you meet special people, the, the creative juices start flowing. And I was still in my, I was halfway through my PhD and the novel didn't actually get written straight away. It was sort of um, stewing in my mind. And it was in a year later, actually, when I, I went to the Teen Ewyr Writing Centre as a second prize for my first book. And um, I was a week there being tutored by Horatio Clare, uh, quite a renowned yes. travel writer, and John Gower, uh, the Welsh wizard. <laughs> He's got a fabulous voice, both writers. And I wrote one page that week. And that one page was the first page that would uh, become Wailing. So that that was a special moment. Yes. And are you a Welsh speaker? I am, yes. I wondered wondered why you chose to write the novel in English. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, I think any any Welshman in the 21st century, if they're honest, you know, especially from a bilingual family, will admit to a tug of war. Uh, in, inside, you know, R.S. Thomas famously said that he danced right in Welsh. There was almost this fear, <laughs> and I, I don't know what it is. I, I, in my mind, you know, my mother tongue Welsh is what I would choose maybe to write poetry in, and English works well for fiction. I, I'm not. I'm, I know I'm generalising it. This is just personal now. I, I find I'm much more natural. Uh, writing prose in English um, and there's a lovely you know there's a tradition in Wales of Welsh writing in English you know that we are a, a nation of two tongues there was that famous book wasn't it the dragon has two tongues yeah. and it's both languages are to be celebrated yeah well, that, that's fascinating <laughs> And um, you've already touched on um, Moby Dick. I mean, the obvious influences, obvious to me anyway, reading your novel, um, the most obvious ones are Moby Dick and and the Bible. I just wondered, yeah. are there other particular influences? Um, I wonder if you could say a bit more about the sort of resources you drew upon um, in creating this novel. Yeah, I, Moby Dick yeah, is a haunting presence, right? I, I, you know, I, 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 on the on the back of the book, it calls it an heir to Moby Dick, and that's not saying it's like Moby Dick. It's a child of Moby Dick, uh, and many other books have sort of influenced my writing. I, I remember reading um, 
enards tell them of, of battle uh, battle kings and elephants around the same time as I, I was writing Wailing and Enard, you know, it's that counterfactual uh, writing, imagining Michelangelo in Constantinople and that kind of postcard snippets uh, that, that influenced my style. Uh, and then on the other hand, then you've got the other, other side, you've got people like Mantel and Umberto Eco, you know, that, that sort of detailed historical writing which I enjoy, you know, that sort of strange, especially with Umberto Eco, you know, in you know, My Name of the Rose or uh, Baudolino, you know, where he, he goes off on these sort of tangents with the, the details of theology and things. And I I, I think I, I glean from some of those, although I know my, my, my novel's nothing like it, but that kind of... Um, interest in the sort of miscellaneous facts, those little details, and and I think you know the importance of the sign or the symbol. What do things mean? Again, Moby Dick comes through here. You know, what is the whale? That's the question I want people to be asking. And does the whale mean different things to different people? You know, I'm being a trainee minister. I'm fascinated by signs, symbols, and, you know, you think of something like the cross, you know, that beautiful hymn, when I survey the one wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, that idea of surveying the cross, going right round, you know, for some it's a stumbling block, to others it's wonderful, to others it's uh, offensive. And it, it, in that idea, you know, I'm fascinated by that. And I, I want the reader to be asking, what is the whale in this novel? It's It's this dark spot on the beach they can't move it and it comes back and yeah anyway, I don't like telling people what it is because I think it can, you know I'll stop there yes but it's very I found that very very vivid this sort of looming monster this great big I mean it must have been an extraordinary I mean however literally we take it, it you know <laughs> the idea of encountering this this sort of huge presence on the beach I thought that came across very vividly and you, you've already yeah. touched on something I wanted to ask you about. You talk about the sort of postcards. It's quite hard, I think, I understand, to sell a book to a publisher when the genre isn't clear. And I'm interested to know um, what genre. It's quite experimental. And I wonder I wonder what genre, how you like to think about it, and also whether that was any barrier to publication or whether your publishers immediately got what you were trying to do. I think you you know when when people read saw the first sort of ideas for it, I mean there there was some reluctance from some I think, but I remember talking to a friend in London and he said, "Oh, don't give up, you know, um, you should send it to Seren because um, they you know they're a, they're a, they publish poetry uh, mainly Seren, yeah. you know they were they were they were much they just um, published a book." A very experimental novel by Tony Curtis, based around that murder in Paris. I, I've gone blank; I can't remember the title. Um, but I was fascinated. You know, they 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 were they were open to publishing experimental uh, novels. I, I'd call it a novel. I'd call it my own journey on discovering how to write a novel. I, I think. Um, as a Welshman, you know that that poetry in our language, it's sort of. Uh, we can't help it, and and 
at times, you know, when I started writing it, I thought, what would what would happen? You know, I was quite open. You know, would this be a, a creative nonfiction work? But what I found was that as I was uh, as it was stewing in my mind, I I had this story emerged of this encounter, this sort of uh, reverse colonization in a way. You know, people return in from the new world to the old world, and I. I, I imagined, you know, things were happening in the news as well. And even after I'd written the book, you know, the themes that I was writing about were were, were appearing on News 24. Mm-hmm. That was quite a profound moment. And so, so yeah, what is the book? I don't know. I, I It's a novel. It's an experiment. It's me uh, finding my feet, finding my voice, studying the human condition. You know, interestingly... I was at the time being called into the ministry and I was sensing this shift in my own uh, direction, uh, my own life. And, you know, where would writing fit with that? And interestingly, this novel, at first I thought, you know, would writing sort of go, you know? But actually what I found is that this, this actually becomes a means of discussing the big things. I think as ministers, we should be open to explore new marketplaces, isn't it? You know, like Paul was comfortable in the synagogue, but he was happy in the forum and on Mars Hill. And I think as as ministers, we should not be afraid of writing creatively. Um, Absolutely. I'd like to come back in a minute to um, your training for the ministry, but if we just pick up on the, some of the themes in the book, which you've mentioned, yeah. I mean, obviously one of the sort of th- things is about migration and the fear of outsiders, um, yeah. faith and superstition, our relationship with the natural world. I'm wondering how much those were consciously in your mind when you were writing or did it just evolve? And uh, yeah, can you say a bit more yeah, about yeah. that? It's funny, you know, um, my wife is Dutch, uh, Jenna, um, and she'd, she'd come here during the whole um, change in our, uh, in our country in relation to Europe. So I, I think I was thinking about that idea of movement and, you know, I was backwards and forwards to the Netherlands and I'd always been fascinated by, you know, the idea of the Welsh saints being these, uh, men and women in little boats moving around and how I actually proposed to my wife in St. Govens, the, the church that appears somewhere in the novel, I won't say where. <laughs> and it's a fascinating little place in Pembrokeshire, a little outcrop, uh, and it's built into the rock. And I, am, I remember as a child going there and imagining, wow, you know, you could you could look at it at different perspectives, can you? It could either have been built there to be uh, closer to God, uh, away from society, or it could have been built there because inland was so dangerous and new ideas and um, the gospel coming to the shores was not always welcomed. I think that those kind of things have always been on my mind. In my father's an Englishman, from Thanet, you know, another place of arrival. He then came to Wales and, you know, how the Welsh people interacted with my own dad and then me being this this sort of, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm very Welsh, but I'm also very aware and, and, 
you know, um, very happy to be half English. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that, and I celebrate it. And I think as a people of Britain, you know, we are a we are peoples, aren't we? And I, I, I think those kind of themes have always been on my mind, and then it just comes out then in the novel, doesn't it? But being Christ-like as well, um, you know, without getting into politics, you know, what would he have done when people arrive and how easy it is as kind of, as Christians, how prejudice can quickly slip into something far more dangerous. And, you know, humans don't change, do they? And uh, from the time of the saints, from when they had to maybe hide on the shores or flee for their lives and the Methodists were persecuted because they were different and you know Anglicans at times have been persecuted because they're different and um, so all of these things were sort of bubbling in my mind and yeah, I hope that adds I, I'm a waffler you'll have to, uh, <laughs> no that answers it that mind. answers it beautifully and one of the in the book one of the sort of central conflicts is between the incoming Quakers and then the people they meet. And you've got two very different Christian characters. You've got the, the Reverend David Jones, and then you've got Mrs. Griffiths, both very vivid characters. <laughs> uh, again, we don't want to say too much, but could you say a little bit more about those two um, characters and, and what they what they mean to you? I, I suppose the Reverend David Jones is what I don't want to be uh, <laughs> as, as a minister. That idea of power, yeah. um, abused power, abused authority, uh, also that kind of nominalism, which can veer into, you know, a dangerous thing. You know, where they don't, you know, he doesn't actually believe anything in the end, does he? He just believes in himself and that power of himself. He he represents um, that respectability, I suppose. And how how dangerous that can be uh, when it's not grounded in that Christ-like, blind Christianity. He abuses the Bible, doesn't he? I, I won't go into it too much, but the danger of taking verses out of context, I think. Um, Mrs. Griffiths, then, on the other hand, is the heroine of the novel. Um, I won't say how, uh, but for me, she captures first-century Christianity. She happens to be a Calvinistic Methodist, you, you know, I, 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 that's not a, a statement. You know, she to me, she's a Christian uh, in in the, in the essence of that word. She's a follower of Christ. She is Christ-like in in the way that she she is. Um, she has a new life in Him. She calls out injustice. She helps the needy, but she also has that hope in Him. Uh, whereas you don't see that in Jones. And there's a lovely bit in the book where the two two lads, Joe and Andrew, one minute they're in the meeting house, one minute they're in the chapel, they're passing the Methodists on the hill, and they say to one another, well, Andrew asked Joe, who are these people and what are we? And I suppose that's my little, um, I don't know, it, Wales is a topography brittle with relics as rs thomas said you know there are chapels on every corner denominations you have the the old anglican churches i'm i'm aware then you know of this this charge theologically charged space which has seen much division 
And I guess Mrs. Griffiths is my attempt of going back to the first century where brothers dwelt together in unity and there God commanded the blessing, you know. Again, you know, that, that topography of uh, religion in Wales, I find it interesting how St. Govan's Church comes in as well. You know, that's kind of, you know, um, how can I put it? We're back to basics again, yes. uh, back to the basics. And, yeah, there's a, there's a lovely, you know, some of the figures in the novel are, are are real. They are real characters from Welsh history. One of them is Thomas Lewis, who was one of our greatest hymn writers. But then I show that even he is has uh, is a man of you know he's a, he's a man, and he uh, I won't say any more. <laughs> I'll let the I'll let the readers see what happens with him. <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk a bit about your um own path um to ministry i uh, did did you grow up yeah. in a christian household was that was part of your life faith yes um my grandfather was uh was brought up in the anglican church uh, an evangelical anglican background my grandfather he then came home to wales because he had to flee there's a reason i'm i'm starting with him because he was quite a big influence on my life they went to bolton during the war from wales he then came back to Wales and uh, felt called to the ministry and he, he ended up in a nonconformist church. So, you know, through my childhood, my grandfather, preacher, was a very big influence on me. He never, uh, it was never kind of, um, you know, forced upon me, the faith. I remember very vividly as a seven-year-old coming to my own encounter with, uh, with with higher things as it were you know I, I remember asking Christ for forgiveness and for that new life um that was a that's a very vivid time you know I know I'm young but uh very precious to me so I, I would say that would be a conversion moment I was then uh yeah brought up in a very happy Christian home you know brought up like Paul in a way, not comparing myself to Paul uh, intellectually, but, you know, he, he was much blessed. You know, he had uh, brought up at the feet of Gamaliel kind of thing. You know, so I, I, I was uh, very privileged to play on my grandfather's study floor as he would prepare sermons and he would always stop his sermon prayer to play with me, encourage the arts, the ministry then comes much later. I was an academic, uh, and that was I wanted to be a writer. Uh, but I won uh, quite amazingly uh, during our first years of marriage. I I, I was quite ill, and um, I had a job with the National Trust in North Wales, and that was kind of my wilderness experience. You know, we were looking after the birthplace of the Welsh Bible translator William Morgan and. I don't know if you've been there, it's in the Wibbernant, uh, which literally means the house on the Adder Stream, high up in Snowdonia. Yen and I uh, went there, we lived in a cottage. The Bible translator's birthplace was opposite the cottage and it was surrounded by this hedge. And every day we'd light a fire and people would come to see the original 1588 Bible and I would tell them the story of the translator and it was in that time, that quiet time uh, away from Cardiff, that that desire 
to be a writer, to be a successful novelist. I think uh, the care for souls, uh, the care for, for sheep, uh, as I was in that shepherdine environment, God uh, called me, I, I felt, to the ministry. Going around the smaller churches, seeing that uh, the need for, for under-shepherds, uh, and it was a very special time, not easy, do you mind? We had no central heating. Uh, the Gosh. river rushed through our house in the second week. Gosh. I remember seeing my books stamp on the ground floor, one of my ski boots bobbing away like Winnie the Pooh's honey pot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very dramatic time, a, a difficult time in many ways, and yet a very precious time. You know, it's in those quiet places, I think, that you hear the Lord loudest. Mm-hmm. So then I came, unfortunately, during the pandemic, and Interestingly, it was in Timaur that I wrote the bulk of Wailing. So it, it happened over a long time. I, I wasn't in a rush. And I, I was made redundant. And then I returned back to South Wales. And, yeah, a wonderful opportunity came to train for ministry. And, yeah, that's that's a very long story. No, that's fine. Tried... So what, what denomination are you training for? I'm just, uh, like, uh, like, you know, I, yeah. What, what am I? Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> the big um, question. <laughs> evangelical, uh, non-conformist in Wales, Calvinistic Methodist, if you like. I'm right. the heir of. Yeah. Interestingly, though, the Calvinistic Methodists never left the established church. You know, uh, so my my heroes, uh, William Williams Pantakelin, the great hymn writer of Wales, n- never left. <laughs> so I, I've I've been very privileged to work for Christian Aid in the past, and I made men, you know, I've I would preach in all the different denominations, and I still preach in some Anglican churches as well. You'd be glad to know, um, but I'm actually training uh, in the kind of non-conformist tradition, yeah, uh, on a correspondence course because right. at the time, at the time I couldn't. Um, leave work and it was a lovely thing that occurred you know um we were praying because we felt i felt called to the ministry and i wanted to be separated into the word uh Allah act six you know and a lovely th- thing occurred where uh, s- somebody felt that they wanted to support so that released me from uh, secular work so god was very kind <laughs> so where do you where do you see your future Nathan you know you want to carry on writing you'll be you'll be having your ministry and and, and do you feel that so have you got particular ideas of you know how that's going to work out or will you just wait and see I'm 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 excited to take every chapter as it comes I I'm a minister first you know that that I I said that on the hay stage because you know Horatio said you're a writer who preaches no no I said I'm a <laughs> I'm a minister who writes um I'm looking forward to being a, an under shepherd I'm looking forward to my ordination you know that that's something I I'm, I'm really excited about when does that take place your ordination you know, I, I I think it's at the end of my course, um, but I need to check <laughs> when, when, when the time's right. That's the thing with us Welsh, you know, we're not as... Uh, You're a bit more <laughs> flexible. Okay. Yes. Yeah. When, when the time is right, right, I think that's the right answer. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I think at the time when I was being called, I thought, oh, would I have to leave uh, the novels behind? 
but God was really kind. You know, he gave me a real peace about a few weeks after I had a piece about my call. I had a response from Sarah Wren, and I, I thought that was quite, the, the timings were very interesting. So I, I hope to use my novels and, and and you know, not 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 preaching from my novels, you know what I mean. But it's important to have a Christian voice in the arts, isn't it? You know. So I'm I'm working on another novel now. Wonderful. <laughs> are you a- right. are you able to say anything about that, or do you do you want to keep your cards yeah, close to the chest? It's, 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 it, it's, it's, I I saw a picture uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, my my yeah, Nez great uncle did something very interesting as a job right at the top of the the Netherlands. And that picture, the monochrome picture, captured my imagination. And so it's going to be a Dutch novel. So it's a little bit like John Williams. You know, one minute we're in um, the USA and next minute we're in ancient Rome. So it's going to be a little bit like that, I think. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ex- exploring maybe the sort of, you know, we're living in an age, you know, the so-called post-Christian, aren't we? We're living in that sort of de- disenchantment of the world. And those are kind of themes that are on my mind now. You know, what does that mean? And I won't say more. Uh, I don't want anyone to steal my idea. You Absolutely. Know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I will I will look forward to reading your course. Um, and how was your oh. experience at the Hay Festival? That must have been a, a, a great platform. Oh, well, again, you know, God was very kind. You know, that was a dream, you know, before I went into the industry. And then um, I find myself on the stage speaking to someone I admire, you know, I, I, I like to call a friend, you know, Horatio was quite key for me as a writer, you know, when I was on Teen with he, he really tutored me. Oh, special. Um, it was part of the debut discovery. So it's where they have a, a young writer speaking to a more established writer. I think that's such a good thing that the Hay Festival are doing. Uh, not it's not a closed shop. Uh, it's open to emerging writers, uh, and uh, it was lovely to be a Welshman there, you know, and uh, speaking to another Welshman uh, about a Welsh novel. Um, yeah, a good amount of people. I think there were over two, two to three hundred showed up at the wise stage. I got uh, an upgrade, the stage upgrade, so that was very encouraging. So I was on the wise stage and. I was nervous. I probably repeated a few things a few times. <laughs> but uh, questions about the writing process and uh, a lot of questions about this this reemerging whale in literature. It's mm-hmm. interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. Even this year, there's so many books on whales. There's that wonderful nonfiction uh, uh, writing uh, soundings. Had, and you've got the Korean uh, novel, The Whale. It's interesting, isn't it, how the whale is surfacing It's again fascinating and again. When, when you think you're doing something quite unique and then you find other people are, are writing about it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, um, Yeah. Ni- Ni- Niall Griffiths reviewed my book for Nation.com, Ray, and he said that he, he was, he said, I feel, I saw the first line of his review and I thought, oh dear. He said, I'm miffed. It's as if Nathan has been in my <laughs> That's right. You'd stolen his idea, he said. Didn't idea. He? Yeah. yeah yes. Fascinating. Yeah. I've I've never met no. uh, Niall. We've only ever corresponded. And yeah. um 
and yet he said, you know, how it's interesting that there should maybe be a new a new genre of of, of literature, a, a whaling books yes. in the right yeah. sense of the word. Yes, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Nathan. I wish you well with your writing and and with your ordination, and be fascinating to see what comes next. But thank you very much oh. for your time today. Oh, thank you, thank you for having me and for the welcome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.